Now, this morning in Ephesians, our second last uh, study in this uh, letter, we've been here all through the term. This morning, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now, time will only allow us to tackle verses 1 to 4 in any detail, with perhaps, if we have time, just a few brief comments on verses 5 to 9. But I, I want to concentrate on verses 1 to 4. So let's read God's Word together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, and the word is slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Well, let's ask for God's help as we pray for a moment. Our Father, your word here is practical, profound, and good. Help us to understand it, that we might live according to it, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, as always, if you have your Bible open or the Bible on your phone or your tablet or whatever, and the service sheet with the headings in front of you. That'll be a great help uh, to me. People often ask me if preaching in the 9.45 service is any different from the 11.30 service. There are differences. One, I'm more tired. Two, uh, the first one is noisy. This one is silent because there are no children. But sometimes... The subject matter, people hear it differently. And in the first service, there were lots of uh, people who have school-aged children at home with them. And this service, there are a lot less. Lots of you students, I guess, young adults, will be going home at Christmas time to your uh, families. Some of you are married and would like, if God gives you children, to have them in the future. Some of you are having children uh, soon, and you will hear this and think about this in relation to your uh, parenting. Let me just say to you, it's not in the Bible, but it's not nearly as easy as people tell you it is. Okay? Just tuck that away. It's a good bit of uh, practical common sense. So we're going to hear this in different ways, okay? 
and I've tried to sphere it towards this group of uh, people. Now, first some comments by way of introduction. You'll see them on the sheet there. Uh, Section 2 of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, is concerned with how we are to live as Christians. So the practical stuff about the day-to-day reality of how we're to live. And Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 is about the grandest theology in the New Testament. You know, it's wonderful stuff, but it hits home in our homes, in our church family, and at work. That's where it's all worked out in the world. But as we've taught and worked through the practical stuff, the do's and the don'ts and the how-to and the struggles... We've always had an eye to chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that logic is fundamentally important. The logic is chapters 1, 2, and 3 first, followed by chapters 4, 5, and 6. And when you're in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you can forget that. We've got to have an eye to 1, 2, and 3. Now, I'm going to let a secret out, yeah, that parenting is hard. Being a child of a parent isn't easy. And therefore, what's really important is we remember chapters 1, 2, and 3, which explains who we are in Christ. That's what we draw on as we parent. It's what we draw on as children, who we are in Christ. That God has given us in the spirit of Christ within us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so when we go through the practical stuff in the second half of the letter, remember, God is saying to us, be who you have become. How have you become who you are? Through Christ's death by grace. God's work of grace in your life. So, remember chapters 1, 2, and 3. And the second introductory point, the section from chapter 5, verse 21, through chapter 6, verse 9, focuses on three key relationships. Yep, number one, the relationship between wives and husbands in Christian marriages. Number two, six, one to four, the relationship between children and parents in Christian homes. And thirdly, six, five to nine, the relationship between those under authority and those in authority in a working environment. And in each of these key relationships, how are Christians to live? How are Christians to conduct themselves? How is a Christian community going to try and encourage each other to live in these three key relationships? As wives, husbands, children, parents, and those who work for uh, those in authority over them and those who are in authority. Now, you might be thinking, because of your circumstances, and I could tell in service one that people were thinking this because they had just disappeared off into... Uh, Christmas planning or whatever it is. Yeah, you can see in their eyes. I can see in your eyes if you're listening. I can. Now, you might be thinking, look, this isn't relevant to me because I'm not married or I don't have children or I'm not working. Now, we need to remember that Paul is not writing this letter to individual Christians. He's writing this letter to a church community. He's writing this letter to Christ Church in Ephesus, and let's say they had three services. They met at 9.45, and different people came to the different services. But he's writing to them all, about them all, you see. Let me illustrate that 
in relation to a small group in the church here, a house group, say, or a small group in cord or students. The whole group, think of a house group, a mixed group, the whole group is concerned for and prays for those in the group who are married. Rightly so. The whole group is concerned for and prays for those in the group who are not married, who are single, and rightly so. They're not sort of so anxious about who is married and who is single that they don't pray and support and love each other. The whole group is concerned for those who have children. Pray for the children of those in the group who have children, whatever age they are. And it would be a very natural thing in a small group for somebody to say, I want you to pray for my children or my friend's children. And these children might be long grown up and flown the nest. Likewise, a group that is strong and open with each other will pray for those who don't have children or those who can't have children. And there are people in church. Now, people often say to me, why is it when you baptize or dedicate a child, do you always pray for people for whom that's difficult? Why is Christmas so hard for some people? Because they would love to have children, but they can't. But those who are single and those who cannot have children often bring such a blessing to families and parents of those who do have children. The three people who have had the single biggest influence on our family life and dynamic, a single lady and a married couple, a married couple unable to have children, have been a wonderful blessing to us as a family. And uh, in the working environment, if there are people in our small groups who are working, who are bosses, who are employment, who are uh, accountable to others, we pray for them. We pray for Mondays and Tuesdays through Fridays. And we pray for those who are not in work. And that's a microcosm of how a whole church should be. So you guys have a responsibility and a privilege of praying for all the parents of children and for the children in the first service. That's a church family. And we, we're at, the, we're at the, the straining edges of being a church family because we have 350-odd people, which means that in the end, we'll plant a church because you struggle at the end to be able to connect and hold on to that. Okay, now, hopefully you think this is relevant to you. Lots of you are kids of... In fact, you are really young, lots of you. And I'm not going to go for the I'm getting old line here, but I am, you know, and, and you do look so young. And let me tell you, you students, that your parents still think of you as children, and that will never, ever, ever change. Why? Because you are their children. And that's a profound theological point. As I've spoken to people this week, whose children are grown up, and I said to them, do you still think of them as children? And they... They don't answer in a sentimental way and say yes. If they're Christian parents, they say absolutely yes. We have a responsibility to pray for them and to nurture them. Now, you, you might also be thinking, if I've won you round, is this relevant to me? You might also be thinking, it's just not that simple. So, granted, yet Christian dad, Christian mom, three vibrant Christian teenagers... In that family, it's not that simple. So what about if you are parents and your kids 
show no signs of spiritual life. Or what about if you're a Christian, you're a child of whatever age, and your parents aren't Christians? Some of you will go home to families at Christmas time where that is the case. How can you obey them or honor them? Or in work, some of you just might hate it. It might be wholly discouraging. Now, you know, and I know, and Paul knows, and most importantly, the Lord Jesus knows, it's not simple. Life within the strongest families in the strongest church communities is not simple. It wasn't simple in Ephesus. We are work in progress, but we can make progress. Now, the third introductory comment concerns equality and submission. I've had a lot of correspondence and conversation about this over the past eight weeks, and uh, Paul it could not be more at pains in any of his letters to point out that when we are redeemed in Christ, we uh, are on a level playing field with everybody else. So think of our church today. This service, the first service, the first service, the mums and dads sitting in here, lots of the kids out at Sunday Club. If these children are Christians, and don't doubt that a young child can be soundly converted, if these children are Christians, their parents are Christians, if you are a Christian, if the oldest person here is a Christian, there is a fundamental equality with them all, whether they're brainy or not brainy, tall or short, whether they're from this country, that country, wherever, one new person in Christ, one humanity, fundamental equality. And that cuts through all cultural stereotypes in all of history, one new humanity. And that is most clear from our passage right at the end in verse 9 when Paul says, Masters, slaves, you are equal. That's radically countercultural. But alongside equality, there is submission, different roles and different responsibilities. Chapter 5, verse 21 is like a heading over the whole passage submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How is that seen? Wives submitting to their husbands. Children submitting to or obeying their parents. Slaves submitting to or obeying their masters. Equality, yet submission. That is God's pattern for his new humanity in Christ. That is what should be seen in the church community, in marriages, and in homes. And one of the issues that we feel is so sensitive or so controversial in churches that we can't tackle it is the relationship between a child and a parent, a husband and a wife, men and women in church life. But it's fundamental to what it means to be redeemed as God's new humanity. And uh, the last three Sundays, apparently, I've preached according to uh, people when I listen to them online or people who write books, the three most controversial sermons you could ever preach. And yet each Sunday, people come up to me and say, and people who are listening online email me or whatever and say, this is just good, right, truth. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Equality. Now, the best way to understand equality and submission is in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is Jesus fully God? Yes. When the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among humanity, was it fully God who made his dwelling among humanity? Of course it was. Equality, Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet Jesus says to his Father, not my will, but your will be done. I and the Father am one. 
but the Son submits to the Father. Now, with that in mind, let's turn to um, life in the Christian home. And I embrace within that uh, parents who are Christians whose children are not yet and children who are Christians whose parents are not. I'll deal with that. Now, verses 1 to 4 deal with children and parents in the Christian home. And the context Paul has in mind here almost certainly are young children living at home with their parents. And by that I mean um, children up to 18 living under their parents' uh, roof, younger children and teenagers. You can imagine that in the first service um, the sort of slight tension that kind of arose in the little gaps that emerged in the seats as two children were sitting next to their parents. And uh, they all just fixed me and didn't make eye contact with each other for the next 25 minutes. So that's the context Paul has in mind. Children living under the roof of their homes. Uh, Now, it's probably true in our culture that we undervalue parents and overvalue children. That might be fair, yeah? We idolize children in our culture. The one thing I said in service one that I knew would lead to a strong reaction afterwards, and it did, was that we think of children as special, which in some ways is true, our children, with wonderful gifts and abilities that will flourish in life. But the Bible reminds us that our children, without Jesus Christ, are unsaved and under his judgment. So what matters most is exactly what Elish said. What matters most in life for your children, if you have children, and for you as children, is your identity with Jesus Christ. It does not matter one iota in the end what you amass in life by way of success if you do not have that. Not one iota in the end. You know that's true. What matters is Jesus Christ. And we can so easily as parents fall into the trap of trying to... Now, if, if, if any Christian parent in this church is asked, what is the most important thing for your kid? They will say salvation, and they mean it with their hearts. But do our children hear it and see it in what we prioritize for them in life? Now, I'm not saying that you don't sit your kids down four nights a week after dinner at the table with you leaning over them saying, Homework, homework, homework. Of course you do. But never, ever, ever before you sit down with a Bible with them and say, Jesus.
Now, children, obey your parents, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the Lord. Obey is a strong word. It's a really strong word. Obey means comply with your parents' instructions. Why? Why should a child obey their parents? The answer in the second half of verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children are to obey their parents as an expression or outworking of their loving obedience to the Lord Jesus. Now, this is important. There are passages in the Bible that encourage the obedience of children to parents so that children, as they grow up, learn what it means to obey the Lord. Yep. But that's not, I think, what Paul is speaking about here. The encouragement is to obey your parents in the Lord here, and that means, I think, obey your parents as an expression of your obedience to Jesus as a Christian. Now, from a very young age, children can become clear Christians. It's why our Sunday club teachers are not teaching our children Bible stories on a Sunday. They're teaching them the gospel. They're teaching them exactly what I would preach here, the gospel, because young children can become Christians. Teenagers can become Christians. And many do, and we thank God for that. You see, the logic of what Paul is saying, it is the conversion of a child to Christ that will bring about the transformation in their hearts that will lead them to obey their parents as an expression of their obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Very often in families, and I've seen this, again and again, I've seen it close to home, when the rebellion against God stops, rebellion against parents stops with it. Well, not entirely. (laughs) And that is why, of course, you see why we must have Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 in our minds. It's why, as parents, our most earnest prayer is that our children will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not so that they will obey us, but so they will obey Christ. And when they start obeying us as a sign that they are obeying Christ, well, nothing gives us greater joy as parents than that. Nothing gives us greater joy as a church family when we see that in the lives of children. And of course, it's not just for children who are Christians, although a child or a teenager's conversion is the transformation that changes all. We might read the phrase, in the Lord, as children within Christian families, within the covenant of God's grace where the promise is to children and their children. And that is such an encouragement to us as parents, God's covenant promises. A child brought up in a Christian home and in a living Christian church will see obedience modeled. They will be encouraged and prayed for. Families will be prayed for. Their children will obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. the best encouragement I got after the first service from somebody who, I'm not sure if they are a Christian, said, 
this sounds like it's right. Or it sounds like this would be much better if we lived like this. Of course, it's true. It it is better. It brings, for one thing, peace and stability and security in the home. Let me quote from one of the Bible commentaries. Um, Andy Robertson referred to this, I think, uh, earlier. It's by a guy called Richard Cochin, called Ephesians for You. It's a great commentary because he's great at unpacking the Bible. And uh, in this particular area, he's good because he has five children. And I know Richard, and I know his kids, and they're not perfect, nor is he. So he writes, as a child or teenager loads the dishwasher, you might be thinking, I wish, or lights the fire or tidies their bedroom or comes home before midnight and struggles to understand why all that stuff is such a big deal for their mum and dad, they don't have to believe their parents know best, because often they don't, nor accept that a clear table or tidy bedroom is morally right, because it isn't. They just need to remember that obeying their parents is the right thing to do because Jesus has asked them to, and they are opportunities to please their Savior. Now, parents need to explain that to their children. I wonder how often a child or a teenager thinks tidying my bedroom will bless my mum. Or coming home before midnight will be a blessing to my father. And how will a child think that deeply in their hearts when they know that it will be a blessing to my Lord. You see why a conversion of a child is so vital. It's not because we're worried about them being out late at night. Fundamentally, there's something deeply theological going on here about redeeming humanity. Even though we do worry about them being out late at night. Now, in verses 2 and 3, Paul explains that the obedience of younger children, teenagers to their parents, is part of a wider attitude, where children of every age are to honor their parents. As a child grows up and becomes a teenager, leaves home, or stays at home as an adult, the obedience of a child relationship to a parent changes, and rightly so. Parents need to stand back and not seek the obedience that they did when their children were younger. But the honoring of a parent never, never changes. Honoring means respecting, revering, seeking and heeding their advice, caring for them practically, visiting them, helping them practically, cutting their hedges, cutting their grass if they can't do it. Financially, it means helping them, having them to stay with you. I recommend that the maximum length of time children should have parents to stay is three nights, but it's still good to have them. You'd be amazed at how many homes are only open one way, not both ways. And of course, when they grow old and infirm, caring for them, loving them, 
It is the only commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Reading that as Christians, what does it mean? Well, it means what it says. It will go well with you. Your family life will be blessed and better. You see, husbands who love wives as Christ loves the church, wives who obey husbands or submit to them out of their obedience to Christ, children who obey their parents in the Lord, parents who will get to this, who don't exasperate their kids and who teach them the gospel, children who honor their parents of whatever age, it will go well with you as a family. It's better. And you may live long in the land. That is a pointing promise to the new creation where Christians will live forever, where all relationships will be perfect. Now, let me deal with one difficult circumstance, but not uncommon, and I'm sure not uncommon in this room. Much of what I've said relates to families in the church, which is Paul's primary context, and all of us are committed to pray for them. Now, you may be a Christian, but your parents aren't Christians. They may be supportive, they may be indifferent to your Christian convictions, or they may be hostile And it can happen when children or teenagers become Christians at camp and their parents say, you cannot go to church. You can't meet with other Christians. You can't go back to that camp. That happens often. Do you still obey your parents? Yes, if you are under their roof of that age. But you let them see how the gospel has changed you. And they cannot stop you praying to God or reading your Bible. What of a Christian student going home in the Christmas holidays to a home where there is indifference at best, hostility at worst, because you have become a Christian? Are you still to honor your parents? Yes, in every way you can honor them, do so. But don't compromise on your convictions, but do all you can to honor your parents. Let me give you as an encouragement, if that is your situation, this true story. A Christian lad who became a Christian at university went home and met with pretty direct hostility uh, from his father uh, overtly and his mother less overtly. But over time, and over time is unavoidable, Over time, his parents began to say to him, look, son, we really do not agree with this Christian stuff. And we are hoping that it will pass. But I would say this, that you've really changed. What they're really saying is that you're honoring us. And over time, I'm not going to tell you that his parents have become clear Christians, because they're not. But the hostility has moved to indifference and is now at the level of inquisitive interest. Honoring your parents. And what that might mean is, I don't know if you're 16, 17 or a bit younger, talk to them. That might be a big change. Talk to them. Honor them. 
Respect them. Write letters home to them. Not emails, not texts, not WhatsApp, not any of that stuff. Means nothing to my generation. It does. Write a letter to them. Honor them. Love them. And let them see what the gospel has done. Now, fathers, fathers here, those who may be fathers in the future, those who have received this from their fathers, and I will always bear in mind those of you here who have not, and I'm sensitive to that. Fathers, verse 4, are to nurture their children. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Each word here is carefully chosen. The instruction is to fathers. That does not mean that the spiritual nurturing of the child is only for the father. Of course, it is for mom and dad to do together, but the responsibility is with dads as the head of the home. Now, dads here, if you are a dad, we so readily delegate this responsibility to moms. No, we don't. We just completely abdicate it so that if they don't pick up the Bible, the Bible is not picked up. Now, as parents, we can think it is the church's responsibility. Ian Devereaux, who leads our Sunday club, or Alistair, who leads the youth church, or Phil and Naomi and others who lead our CCY group with teenagers, we can think it is their responsibility to bring our children to faith, to teach them the gospel. We think it is the camp leader's responsibility or the SU group at school to nurture our children spiritually. Well, it is partly because they have a great responsibility in having that opportunity, but ultimately the buck stops with parents and the buck stops with dads in a Christian home. Taking your children to a living church where they will be taught the Bible, taking them to church week in, week out, because it is important, praying for them, sending them on Christian camps is a great spiritual investment. But our responsibility is to the fore, and ultimately it is ours as dads. Now, is it a responsibility or is it a privilege? Responsibility and privilege are like two sides of the same coin in the Bible. If I was to say to you, is it a privilege having a child if you have children? Or do your parents think that it's a privilege having you? Of course they do. They love you. It's a wonderful privilege. Is it a responsibility? When a newborn baby is put in your arms when it's born? Yes. Does that responsibility ever change? No. Privilege, responsibility, both. Now, there's a negative and a positive instruction in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, or it could be translated, do not exasperate your kids. How do we provoke or exasperate our children? Well, you will never hear again from me an illustration up front about my kids. And that's true, because I said to my kids this week, what is it, kids, that exasperates you about me? Dad, when you talk about us in church, it's a nightmare. And I made a joke of it, as I always do, and they, one of them burst into tears, and he said, Dad, it's a nightmare. Stop it. 
That's exasperating them. So I'll not do it again. And they're right. Or relentless discipline for no reason. Unreasonably harsh demands. Inconsistency. Tidy your room. Even though mum and dad's room's a total trash heap. It's not morally wrong to have a messy bedroom. Sometimes as parents, I think we have no idea what a horribly hard environment the school playground is for a Christian child. You know, they're mocked if they just let the cat out of the bag that yesterday they went to church. And they walk down the corridors in our schools and there's all sorts of stuff on the walls that tell them that Christian faith is bad. Subliminally. I think we have no idea. And so when our kids come in after school, it's okay sometimes to let them lounge on the sofa with their gizmos playing Minecraft or whatever. It's not okay for you guys to do that when you should be working. It's fine for them to do that, to switch off, to eat chocolate, to lounge around. Sometimes. Rather than the first words they hear when they come in. Tidy your room. Turn down your music. Play your piano. Why are you dressed like that? Yes, there are times we need to be straight with them, but it is not morally wrong to live in a messy bedroom, like loud music, and have holes in your jeans. It's not morally wrong. Yes, the other side of this is a child who does these things out of love for the Lord Jesus to honor and bless their parents. That's good, but it's not morally wrong. See, the logic is not tidy your bedroom and you will inherit eternal salvation. And yet, our children can grow up thinking that's how you get saved. Remember you were a child once. Remember you were a 14-year-old once. Remember how patient your parents were with you. Ailish kind of hinted at that. Remember how patient Jesus is with us all. Now, perhaps one of the best ways of avoiding exasperating your children is to get to know them, dads especially. Here are some questions from a sermon I listened to a couple of weeks ago in this. Dads, do you know the names of your children's friends? Do you know much about your children's best friend? Do you know what subjects they've chosen in school? How often do you speak to them? we all know that children don't talk on cue. Some of them don't talk for years. You've got to give them time. One-on-one time. Why? So that we might understand their fears and their struggles, love them and pray for them. Spend time with a child on their own. Just let me flip the switch on this. For those of you who are going back home at Christmas... Let me encourage you as Christians, if your parents are not Christians, to spend time with them, that they might get to know you better and get to know Jesus through you. 
Here's a, an illustration from one of the sermons I listened to. It's of the son of an American president. It's a bit corny, but it's true. If you're a child, you'll know this is true. If you're a parent, you wish it were more true. In the diary, spent the day fishing with my dad, the best day ever. Isn't that great? Spot on. So you get to Jesus one-on-one with your son or your daughter. More easily after a day with them. And you do for 10 minutes, rushed, at the end of the night. That's the negative. Don't provoke or exasperate your kids. Now, the positive. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What a great privilege that is to a parent. The phrase brings up means nurture. Nurture a child. Nurture means discipline, loving, corrective discipline. The principle is discipline. Parents will discipline their children in a whole variety of ways. That is for them to discern, but the principle is not... You know, I'm an experienced minister now, and question after service one, you told us the principle, what exactly would you recommend by way of the practice? I said, well, you need to pray about it. That's a good answer. Of course, there are lots of ways. The principle is discipline your kids, however you do it. For those of you who have grown up and have left home, you are thankful for that, aren't you? You are. The worst homes to grow up in are where there is no structure and no discipline at all. Worst of all. And nurture goes with instruction in the Lord. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Spiritual instruction. Teaching them the Bible. Explaining the gospel. What place does the Bible have in Christian homes today? Dads, what place does the Bible have around the breakfast table or the dinner table or one-on-one with your kids? If you are the parents of little children, praying with them, reading the Bible one-on-one in their beds at night, round the dinner table. Now, just let me put a degree of wisdom and caution in here. We're not talking about reading through the Bible in six months round the dinner table. Yeah, three chapters in Jeremiah. If you can get your kids to listen all the way through that, well, you are more sanctified than anyone who has ever lived. Sanity is required. But the truth is, isn't it, in most Christian homes that the Bible is on the shelf. The telly is on. There is fantastic material out there. Goodbookcompany.org will help you fill your Christmas stocking. Wonderful material for children and parents. Let me encourage you as we conclude on this relationship, children and parents. And this is all we have time to look at today. We'll come back to the other at another time. Like the Christians in Ephesus, some of us might be listening into God's Word and thinking, oh dear, how far we are, I am, from this. I think those who will feel it the keenest are those whose children have grown up and have left home who aren't Christians. Now, don't be discouraged Because ultimately, people do not become Christians by us doing what Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 says. They become Christians because of God's grace and God's mercy. But we are to try, as parents, 
to nurture our children in the Lord. And it might be, as Ailish has testified, many, many years down the track that our children say, thank you, Dad, for reading the Bible with me and persisting at the dinner table. And as children, honor your parents. And my prayer for those of you who go home at Christmas time to parents who are not Christians is that they will see in you what it looks like for a son or a daughter to honor their mum and their dad. And in time, they will ask you for the reason that has changed your heart. And lastly, if, as some families will have done today, gone home, sat down at the dinner table, and I bet this is going to happen, about now, Dad reaches for the Bible. That'll happen in our church today, I expect. And some kid will say to their dad, Dad, what are you doing? And the dad will kind of be pierced to the heart again. And they get the Bible out, yeah? We go back to Ephesians, and they read it. And one minute in, it's total chaos. And that mom and dad, at the end of today, when they go to bed, pray together and say, please God help us, please God help us. Do you know that wouldn't be a bad result? If reading the Bible around the dinner table today is a nightmare, please God help us. Please God help us. Please God help us to be good parents, good children and a real church family. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the practical teaching here in your word. Thank you that all of this is for a reason, that we might shine as a redeemed community of people, shine as light into the darkness of our world. Christian marriages... Christian homes, whether we are single or married, whether we have children or not, whether we are working or not, whether we are in positions of authority or not, we pray that we would pray and encourage each other to be a living community of faith, exhibiting these relationships as you have given us to them, that we might as a community here be different and distinctive and good and right and true and draw many people to ask for the reason why and find the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, as parents, as children, with all our struggles. Help us to depend evermore on you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.